0: And this is Light On, Light Through, Episode 31, John Edward's Favorite Book. Well, I learned from my wife, who just noticed this last night, that John Edward's favorite book is The Trial of Socrates. This is I.F. Stone's superb 1988 philosophic investigation published a year before Stone's death at the age of 82, about why Socrates allowed himself to die. Why did the great philosopher drink the hemlock after his old friend Crito, at least according to Plato's account, had given Socrates a chance to escape? Crito had told Socrates that Socrates' wife and kids were on a ship, that the jailers had been bribed, and the way to escape for Socrates had been all set and was ready to go. So why then did Socrates allow himself to die? Why did he allow himself to go to trial in the first place rather than leave Athens? Why did Socrates go out of his way to antagonize a jury that is, the Athenians, who met and considered the case, a jury which, by most accounts, was not really out to sentence the great philosopher to death. Well, these were the questions that Stone, a gadfly journalist and publisher of I.F. Stone's Weekly, from 1953 to 1971, considered in his book. Stone had given up contemporary journalism, taught himself ancient Greek, and devoted himself to understanding just what had gone wrong back in ancient Athens, what had driven the world's first recorded democracy to kill someone who even then was recognized by many as a world-class thinker. I. F. Stone's conclusion based on his fresh reading of the ancient Greek documents that are still available, was astonishing. Stone thought that Socrates had allowed the Athenians to bring him to trial, that Socrates had to some extent even provoked the capital verdict and then accepted it because Socrates loathed democracy and wanted to embarrass it. Socrates wanted to show the world and subsequent history just how corrupt a democratic system could be. I had never bought Plato's account of the last days of Socrates. From the first I read and discussed it, way back in Professor Henry Magid's Intro to Philosophy class that I took as a freshman at the City College of New York in Harlem in 1963. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that Socrates wouldn't have taken his old friend Crito's offer up. I didn't believe that Socrates wouldn't have taken the option to continue his philosophy in a city other than Athens, rather than submit to the painful, unjust death of Hemlock. And by the way, taking Hemlock is a horrible way to die. I know that I certainly would have said no thanks to the poison had I been in Socrates' place. So, when I first came upon I. F. Stone's book in 1988, I was delighted. Now, I don't agree completely with Stone's explanation, and I went on to offer my own explanation in my novel, The Plot to Save Socrates, which was first published in 2006. But I.F. Stone's book remains one of my all-time favorites. And on many days, it is my favorite book, too. Which brings us back to John Edwards. What does his putting I.F. Stone's The Trial of Socrates at the top of his list? And by the way, you can see that list on his website, and there will be a link to that website on lightonlightthrough.com. But what does... John Edwards putting The Trial of Socrates at the top of his list of favorite books tell us about this candidate for president. Well, it tells us he loves philosophy and history. It tells us that he has a taste for the intellectually daring, because that's what Stone's book is. It tells us John Edwards has a keen interest in and a sense of What can go very wrong in even the most democratic societies? It tells us John Edwards is an enemy of censorship. Socrates was put to death for his words. And it tells us John Edwards is a friend of societies tolerant of dissidents and their views. When was the last time we had a president like that? Franklin Delano Roosevelt? John F. Kennedy. I'm not sure, but I do know that John Edwards' favorite book puts him in excellent company, indeed. The Light on Light Through podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's BlueberryWithNoEase.com. And now a word from our new sponsor. Go to my PC. Communication theorists know that there are two kinds of information that we need to thrive in this world. One kind of information comes from the mass media, newspapers, radio, television. The other is information that we ourselves may create or write. Now you can get the information on radio and television and the internet just about anywhere. So what do you do when you have some very valuable information that's on your home computer and you're out there traveling somewhere, maybe across town, across the country? Use Go to My PC, and you'll discover the power and freedom of the web. Try it free right now for 30 days with unlimited access. For this special offer, just visit GoToMyPC.com forward slash podcast. That's go to mypc.com forward slash podcast. You're listening to a Runaway Network podcast from RunawayNetwork.com. Yes, indeed. And the LightOnLightThrough.com podcast is now proud to be part of two networks the Blueberry Network, which is sweet and the runaway network, which is very edgy. And in fact, you'll find a lot of sweet and edgy stuff in the lightonlightthrough.com podcast. Flash. And this brings us to our flashes section. And we have two rather serious flashes uh, for this episode of Light on Light Through. First, Jack Thompson is at it again, this time in the aftermath of the Virginia Tech tragedy. Jack Thompson is blaming it on video games. Now, I went up against Jack Thompson last June uh, on a very lame CNBC show called Squawk Box with a completely clueless host. And I try to explain to Jack Thompson why the scientific evidence that he cites really has no validity and really does not show any connection uh, between playing video games and violence in the real world. But Jack Thompson doesn't care about that. He loves charging off anywhere and everywhere he can using any opportunity he can to impugn video games. Let me just go over briefly the two serious fallacies in all the evidence that's cited claiming that video games and violent video games, in some sense, engender violence in the real world. There's one group of experiments in which they measure a propensity for violence after kids play either a violent video game or a neutral uh, video game. And, In these experiments, it very often is the result that when these kids are measured for the potential to commit violence, the kids who have seen the violent video games and have played those violent video games score much higher on these potential propensity examination for violence exams than kids who have just played neutral video games. But those measurements do not say anything about violence actually committed in the real world. And in fact, these experiments end as soon as the subjects leave the laboratory. And there is no data whatsoever that suggests that kids that play violent video games actually do go on to commit violence in the real world. The fact that they score higher on a violence profile exam proves nothing. All it proves is that one Medium playing violent video games makes people behave more aggressively in another medium. For example, if you're asked what happens if someone bumps into you in the hallway, do you say, excuse me, do you walk on, do you haul off and punch someone? And yes, if you say, see, I'll haul off and punch someone, you score higher on the violence profile exam. But there's a big difference between that and committing violence in the real world. Now, the other kind of scientific, quote, evidence, unquote, that's very often cited by Jack Thompson and others in support of the proposition that playing violent video games leads to violence in the real world, are surveys that show a very high correlation between the playing of violent video games among kids and kids who get involved in violent episodes in their lives. For example, hitting other kids, pulling hair, whatever the criteria are. So this does show a correlation, but As people who understand statistics and understand the application of statistics to human behavior, no, correlation is not the same as causation. What does that mean in plain English? Well, A and B can be correlated, meaning whenever A occurs, B is there and vice versa. But that does not mean that A causes B to happen. It does not mean that A makes B occur. So it could well be that kids who play violent video games call that variable A. Yes, they are involved in more violent episodes in their real lives. Call that variable B, but it's variable B that's causing A. In other words, kids who, for whatever reason, get involved in more violent episodes in their lives enjoy playing violent video games because that ratifies what they already do in their real life. That's something quite different from saying that playing violent video games results in your being more violent in the real world. And there are other reasons as well that two variables can be correlated. Perhaps there's a third variable. Perhaps there's a variable C, for example, mental illness. And that's what leads to both A and B. So, the bottom line is, Jack Thompson, wake up. Guns kill people, not violent video games. And it only distracts our attention from the real problems that basically... Blame what happened at Virginia Tech on video games. And by the way, there's no evidence really that the psycho had very much to do with video games in any case. Also about the Virginia Tech tragedy, I think NBC was wrong to air the tape of the killer and to play it over and over again. Now, I understand that NBC and journalists and media in general feel the public has a right to know. And I'm usually on the side of media presenting tapes, even if they are very uncomfortable tapes to see. For example, a tape in which a terrorist is making some kind of demand. Now, that's certainly not pleasant to see, but I think that there is a public interest that is served in Americans seeing those tapes. Because, after all, we're involved in a war, and it's valuable for Americans to see what their enemies are saying. It's valuable for us to see that firsthand. But I don't see any value whatsoever in the videotape of that psycho being shown on the air. And I think, it had NBC thought about it a little longer, they might well have concluded the same. Let's not give these psychos what they want, which is publicity. Next time, NBC exercise a little more restraint. What NBC did was certainly not illegal, they had every right to do it, but I don't think it was really in the public interest. No. Oh. We're going to have a very short promo suite. At the end of this episode, you'll hear a promo from Mike Thinks and his excellent podcast, a promo for Sean Farrell's continuing patio book of my novel, The Silk Code, and several other promos. Well, it's been a very tragic week, and uh, my heart goes out to all the families of the victims uh, at Virginia Tech. Please stay safe, take care, and I'll see you next week. The Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast, it's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the Ancient World witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in the struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen, visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Join the battle, witness the wonder, or forever be victim to the awe and power of The Silk Code. Phil D'Amato is ready. Are you? Punk Horror Podcast coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press, featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacy Campbell, and author red fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.popport.com.